0: Hello and welcome to Great Church Vienna. This Sunday we have Simon Harter with us, who will speak about how God changes and uses ordinary people through fellowship with Him. Based on what we have learned during last week's sermon about God's changing power, and looking into several Bible passages, Simon encourages us to be people who find fulfillment by being changed by Jesus. Let's listen. Happy that, that Simon Hart is with us again. He was here exactly one year um, ago, last year, um, and I'm glad that this year you will preach in English. Uh, but either way, it's easy for me; I can understand you. But probably for everybody else, um, it's easier in English. So, thanks for being with us again, um, and thanks also for challenging us um, about how God changes us, changes us, and uses extraordinary or uses ordinary people for extraordinary causes. So good morning, Grace Church. Yeah, it's good to be here again in our midst. Uh, Thanks for having me another time. Uh, As Dave just mentioned, uh, last time I came here to preach was, yeah, almost exactly a year ago. And back then I preached in German with uh, Sophia translating for me. However, when I was invited a few weeks ago by Theo Masak to come again. He asked me to speak in English. This time I agreed, Um, but it's uh, my first time ever to preach in a language other than German. And after preparing the sermon, I sent it to an American friend of mine to proofread it. (laughs) Uh, If you still uh, spot some mistakes or recognize some insecurity, please Have mercy on me. (laughs) Um, The text I'll speak about is a text that isn't used often for preaching. Uh, I preached from it several, I think, years ago in my uh, church in uh, Meidling. So I didn't have to write the whole sermon from scratch. I just translated it from German to English. (laughs) Um, when When you see what the text actually is, you might think... Oh is there really enough content for a whole sermon and I hope you'll see yes, this actually is the case. there is enough in the text uh, so you can preach from it but before I say too much let's just let's jump into the text uh, open your Bibles please to the Gospel of Mark to chapter three Mark three verses. 13 through 19. Mark 3, 13 through 19. Um, and I'm going to read from an, a really old version of the NIV because that was the only English Bible my family had available at home. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark 3, starting with verse 13. Jesus went up into the hills and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee and his brother John, To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is our text, the word of God. Um, Before we really dive deeper into the text, uh, just a side note at the beginning. Those 12 men uh, that are mentioned here, they are often referred to as um, the 12 disciples. The word disciple means learner. Um, even during that time, though, there were more uh, than just 12 disciples of Jesus. There were far more And even we, who live more than 2,000 years later, or 2,000 years later, we are his disciples when we belong to him, when we follow him. Of course, it's totally okay to call these 12 men disciples. After all, the Bible itself uses that that term often. But these 12 men, they constitute, they form a different group than the larger uh, group of disciples disciples. They are the apostles. Well, what's an apostle then? Uh, The word apostle is usually translated as messenger. These twelve, they are appointed, they are sent out as special messengers by Jesus. They are appointed to live with him. Uh, They are sent out as his messengers to preach, to heal, and to drive out demons, as we read uh, in verses 14 and 15 And this apostolic office uh, that was um, unique to those 12 and to the early church. Um, There are only two other times in the New Testament where apostles are called. Uh, First, in the early chapters of Acts, where Judas was uh, replaced after uh, his betrayal of Jesus. And second, by Christ himself on the Damascus Road, when Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul. After that, however, no additional apostles were replaced. So uh, whenever you hear of kind of new apostles that are supposedly appointed by a certain movement, beware. Be it the new apostolic reformation, uh, be it the pope who still to this very day considers himself a straight successor of Peter, whoever calls himself a new apostle, he acts knowingly or unknowingly contrary to the Bible and therefore should not be considered trustworthy. But yeah, that's just a little side note at the start, at the beginning. As we look into the text... We see Jesus first going up the mountain and then calling to him those he desired. I want to mention some thoughts uh, on that. Obviously, Jesus is the one who initiates. Um, He calls the apostles and they come to him. No discussions, no arguments, no complaints, nothing like, Oh, why did Jesus call him or him? Couldn't I work with someone else? No, no, nothing like that. The disciples obviously understood that Jesus is the one who's calling them. No one else is able to somehow influence him in one direction or another. The only thing anyone can do is to respond to this call. God gave everyone the freedom to answer with yes or no. However, you also have to live with the consequences consequences of the decision you make. Let's compare it with an example from the working world. Imagine you're looking for a job. Maybe that is the situation you face at the moment. I don't know. So let's let's, uh, imagine you're looking for a job and someone calls you and tells you, Tomorrow you can start working for me. Uh, Even though you didn't officially apply for that job, you're now being offered. Um, It actually does happen sometimes, right? That people find a job without having to officially apply for it. If you agree to this offer, you get the job. If you don't, someone else will get it. And that also may happen uh, or does happen when God calls you. If you don't react or if you say no to his call, he may call someone else. Um, I don't mean by this necessarily the call to faith. Actually, I'm more thinking of a call to serve him, uh, just as we read it about in our text. If we decline such a call, we will, of course, remain God's children. And, I mean, we know an omniscient God cannot be surprised by the decisions we make. However... It won't be helpful for our relationship with Jesus to say no to his call. Do we really want that? I don't think so. So these 12 men, they react to Jesus' calling by saying yes. And how do we answer when God calls us to go somewhere or to do something for him? Um, Another important aspect in our text is... Fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. And um, I want to look at this point from two different angles. The first one is fellowship with God in the quiet. There is a parallel account of the events in Mark 3. We we find this parallel account in Luke chapter 6. And I want to read to you uh, verse 12. Luke 6, verse 12. There it it reads, One of those days Jesus went out into the hills to pray and spent the night praying to God. If we read the Gospels, we know that Jesus often wanted quiet times, but often enough couldn't find them. But now he took the quiet time to pray. And that's very important because he had to decide who should become part of the 12 apostles. That was a crucial decision. Such a a decision shouldn't be made hastily, but only after prayerful consideration. It is only after this night in prayer that uh, Jesus uh, chooses exactly these 12 men as apostles. So we see that even Jesus needed the time with his father before making an important decision. So what about us then? What about our decision making? I mean, we would be we would be really stupid if we wouldn't include God in our decision making, right? We absolutely need God's counsel, don't we? And One little hasty prayer like, dear God, help me to do this or that right, amen, that wouldn't do it either. Uh, No, we really should, before uh, crucial decisions, we really should uh, take the time to pray regularly and intensely. That's what we have to do. And yes, before some of you protest, (laughs) I know God does sometimes speak to us if we only if we have only half heartedly talked to him or if we forgot to talk to him at all. God does that sometimes he 's merciful, and since he 's omniscient, he knows all of our thoughts even before we express them. Bear in mind though if we don 't take the time to seriously ask God for advice, we very likely won't be attentive enough to wait for his answer or to realize uh, what the answer actually is. And just as a no to God's uh, call damages our relationship to him, so too does spending too little time in prayer. That's just the same with human relations, right? Um, the quality of human relations depends uh, strongly depends on the amount of time spent with each other, doesn't it? I'm very much aware that it is own, that it is often a battle uh, to really take the time to read the Bible and pray. I know that. But was it any easier for Jesus? No way. <laughs> if we read the Gospels, we, we see that Jesus was faced with enormous demands in his earthly ministry. So, it is very important for us to ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to do in this or that situation? And to wait for his answer. During that waiting period, by the way, uh, spiritual exercises can be helpful to us. Like, for example, prayer journaling or uh, maybe reading a book on prayer. And once the answer is there, we should, of course, Act according to what Jesus has showed us to do. I almost forgot to ask you that. Uh, why, why did Jesus call 12 disciples? Why 12? Why not 7 or 13 or any other number? Any ideas? <laughs> Exactly, yes, it had to be 12 because of the 12 tribes uh, which formed the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Um, I know um, if we compare Israel to the 12 disciples, that raises uh, a lot of uh, other uh, questions. Unfortunately, we can't go more in detail about that, so we have to leave it here. And let's look at verse 14. What was the main purpose? To call them, what's mentioned as the main purpose in verse fourteen? Sorry, um, what's mentioned before? Before preaching, being with him. Yes, <laughs> that's the that's the second angle regarding fellowship with God. I want to look at fellowship with God. These 12 men, they were called to live in a constant community with Jesus, uh, to go with him through the land, uh, to uh, experience what Jesus says and how he acts. And not only for a short period of time, but actually for quite a few years. Thus, their speech, actions, ways of thinking uh, was deeply influenced by Jesus. He could shape them in those years very, very deeply of course this didn't happen overnight the gospel accounts uh, they bear witness to the fact that the disciples were often slow learners um, and often had no clue what jesus actually wanted and still these years with jesus shaped and changed them in such a way that they spread the message of the gospel all over the then known world just a few years later They really changed the world. But first, they had to be changed by Jesus. Let me say that again. Before changing the world, they had to be changed by Jesus. And this was only possible through close fellowship with him. As soon as they tried to do their tasks in their own strength, it didn't work. Um... One famous example of this is a story we read in Mark 9:17 onwards. I won't read that to you. Uh, just uh, tell you about it. Uh, there was a story where the apostles tried to heal a boy possessed by a demon and had no success in it uh, because they re- relied on their own strength and not their masters. And we aren't any better than them. We are no better than them. We also try so often to work in our own strength although we know we can't do anything without Jesus Jesus himself after all told us in John 15 verse 5 John 15 verse 5 I will read that to you I am the I am the vine you are the branches if a man remains in if a man remains in me and I in him he will bear much fruit apart from me, you can do nothing. Maybe, just maybe, a lack of fellowship is the reason you don't make any progress. Maybe that's why your life is only going in circles and nothing really changes. Fellowship with God is the only way for us to really Serve him. And if we neglect this fellowship, that means if we don't pray often, if we don't regularly read our Bible, or are not consistently in fellowship with other Christians, then Jesus cannot shape us so deeply. What does that mean? Well, we won't change deeply, if at all, let alone the people around us. The uh, the things we may do, they may appear deeply spiritual and pious on the outside. But if we don't do them out of a constant fellowship with Jesus, they are of no lasting value. Now, let's look a little closer at the disciples or apostles themselves. We read their names in no less than four verses, so we should uh, go a little deeper in that uh, as well. Some of them, uh, some of them are only uh, mentioned by their name and no further uh, information is revealed of them. So some of them have to remain more or less unknown uh, to us. And actually, depending on the texts you read, not even their names are always identical. Uh, for example, in verse 18, we read the name Thaddeus. He is called, in other texts, uh, Judas, son of James. One reason for the difference might be that one of the names was their nickname and the other their official name, so to speak. But luckily, some of them are quite well known. The first one in the list is also one of the most famous ones, Simon, who became known as Peter. Me, as Simon myself, would have preferred him to be known by his birth name. <laughs> However, Jesus had obviously a very different idea. This Peter is a very impulsive, sometimes even overconfident person. Some examples uh, for that of that are recorded in the Gospels. Um, For example, as he wants to walk on water, uh, just like Jesus, and almost drowns, or a very sad situation, just before Jesus' arrest, he promises uh, that he would never leave, and only shortly thereafter, he denies Jesus three times. But his story doesn't end there. Peter repents, and because of that, Jesus helps him get back on track. Just a few uh, weeks later, Peter gives the famous Pentecost sermon, which is recorded for us in Acts Acts chapter 2, a sermon which leads many, many people to Christ, and he becomes one of the central figures of the early church. Um, A plain and simple fisherman becomes a pillar of the church because... um, because God uses and blesses him and God wants to use us as well for sure our role will be different from Peter's that's for sure but still God wants to impact uh, those around us do we allow him to use us for that purpose no matter what or do we sometimes resist to his plan for our lives because we think we know better than him what's good for us Let me tell you a little personal story at this point. After my graduation in 2014, um, I planned to go abroad and to work there as a German teacher as a foreign language, which is what I still do, by the way. Um, However, all my applications were unsuccessful. Um, After some time, I started to ask myself if God wanted me to stay in Vienna. And on a New Year's conference called MissionNet in 2015 16, God made it clear to me that I really should stay because He wanted me to use at the place where I already was. So I quit my plan to leave Austria and stayed, and I know this was the right decision. Yes, that's a really very small thing compared to the Apostle Peter, (laughs) I know. But I think the principle applies either way. God uses those who allow him to do so. Or think about the Apostle John. He seems to be quite a short-tempered person, right? I mean, the name Sons of Thunder speaks for itself, doesn't it? Do we have to change something? (laughs) Okay. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds good. So, the Apostle John, a short-tempered person, uh, the name Sons of Thunder speaks for itself, doesn't it? Um, Some might remember um, the story of Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and following... I think they should be on the PowerPoint presentation. Um, Luke uh, 9, starting from verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead. They went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. So John wanted nothing less than the total destruction of a whole village that didn't receive them. Such a reaction is way over the top. Jesus had every good reason to rebuke him that way. But later, John becomes the apostle whose main characteristic is love. In his own gospel, he describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Or his um, epistles, he wrote, uh, the epistles he wrote, uh, they also um, speak very often about love. And let me read to you now three verses from the first epistle of John. I have those at the PowerPoint as well. 1 John chapter 4, starting with verse 7. 1 John verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves God has been born of God and knows God. And then the last two verses of the chapter, uh, verses 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Remember, this is the very same man who wanted to destroy an entire village back in his younger days. Quite an amazing change, isn't it? If we fully realize the gospel's power to change people's lives, we have no good reason to think of ourselves as hopeless cases who will never change. That's just not true. God can, God wants, God will change you, but only according to his own plan and not as quickly as we might want to change. Because change takes a lifetime. As long as we are on this side of eternity, there will always be things that need to change. We will never reach perfection here in this life. And furthermore, we must accept that change hurts. It will be painful in one way or another. Personal change is a process of removing and adding. That which is contrary to the character of God will be removed, and we develop those characteristics that glorify him and display his beauty. If we embrace that, Jesus surely will change us, just as as he changed John. And there are other disciples who aren't known that well, but if we look a little closer at their lives, we find amazing stories. Those stories are not primarily about their amazing lives, but about an amazing God who changes mightily and totally. Let's think, for example, of James, John's brother, the second son of thunder. He also wanted, as a young man, to wipe out this Samaritan village. Uh, He became the first apostle um, to die as a martyr. We read about that in Acts uh, 12. Or let's mention Matthew. He was a tax collector, one of the Worst job you could have back in those days. Maybe comparable to the reputation of a real estate agent in Austria. That's a joke by my friend Nate who profited the sermon. (laughs) Uh, Matthew became one of the gospel writers. Or doubting Thomas as he is often referred to because of his skepticism regarding uh, Jesus' bodily resurrection That wasn't the end of his story either. Uh, After having an encounter with the risen Jesus, he shows his commitment and fidelity to Jesus by calling him my Lord and my God. According to many church historians, Thomas went as far as today's India to preach the gospel there. There are still groups of Christians in India who call themselves St. Thomas Christians because they trace back their very existence uh, back to the days of Thomas's missionary work. The doubting Thomas became a preacher and missionary for Jesus. What a miracle. Or just how different these disciples were from one another. That's fascinating as well, right? Uh, they were fishermen, tax collectors, Jewish freedom fighters. Uh, they came from different places and regions. Such a mixture would normally never have fit together. A tax collector and a Jewish freedom fighter, they were normal they were back in those days, they were normally in radical opposition to each other. They they would have hated each other in normal life. But with Jesus, even those opponents come together. And it's often quite similar in the church today, isn't it? Even though I don't know you that well yet, I'm pretty confident to say you as a church would have never found each other in real life. But with Jesus as the center of our church and our lives, everything is possible. We know, of course, it's not always easy to deal with diversity and differences in the church, but we really should be aware that Jesus breaks man-made boundaries. The only thing that counts is whether we believe in him or not. And we are a small part of a huge movement which started with the 12 apostles and has since spread all over the world. Lastly, let me talk about the saddest case of the 12. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We read in verse 19. As sad as uh, this story is, it also proves the reliability of the Bible. Other holy books would never talk that openly of a person like Judas because it could hypothetically uh, damage the holy man's reputation if he becomes known as someone who works closely with traitors. The Bible, however, doesn't need to omit those facts. Because in the Bible, people are shown as they really are, without whitewashing or mentioning only those parts that put uh, everyone in a good light. Mind you, Jesus. Somebody, um, if you knew from the beginning he would betray you someday, I certainly wouldn't. I strongly assume. You wouldn't, and no church ever would, probably. With Jesus, the story is, is of course, entirely different. Judas wasn't a spy of the Pharisees or uh, anyone else. No, no. He was appointed by Jesus as all the other apostles. At the beginning, Judas probably never imagined that later he would betray Jesus. Uh, Still... That's what happened. The betrayal was part of God's very plan from the beginning, because Jude, uh, Jesus, pardon, sorry, because Jesus had to be delivered to the authorities. Jesus really did have to die innocently, uh, because this was a part of the plan to save sinners. That does not mean that Judas is somehow justified. Maybe some of you have heard some confusing statements like, if Judas had to do uh, this, then he had no real freedom of choice, so you can't blame him for that, etc. That's just wrong. Jesus often warned against the traitor without uh, calling him out by name. Although he cared for him as much as for any other disciple, Uh, his heart remained unregenerate because he opened himself to other bad influences. Uh, From the outside, there wasn't any visible difference to the others. And still, he was different. That may also happen in churches, right? People come to church, they behave like everyone else. Um, They might uh, even start serving in the church. They may at a certain point profess their faith in Jesus and still their heart remains far away from him. And there might be a point where those people might leave the church and maybe start talking uh, badly about the faith, be it in public or in private, and everyone else is in shock. You may know some people like this. I surely do. Um, just to be correctly understood, not everyone who leaves the church due to conflict uh, is, a tra- is a traitor. A traitor is only, can only be someone who yeah, leaves the faith and wants to, wants to somehow damage the church of which he was once uh, regarded uh, a part. So, um, what can we learn from uh, Judas' example? Uh, at least two things, I believe. The first it is possible to get at least to a certain degree into the faith and then uh, depart from it at a later time. And so it is vitally important for us to really cling our hearts at Jesus himself and to really remain in him. And I don't mean by this that uh, people could lose their salvation because I don't believe uh, that's possible. I rather think of those people... Yeah, who might think they are right with God when in fact they are not. And sec- the second thing is closely rela- uh, connected to what I just said. Not everyone who appears is a Christian is actually one. And let's face it, if not even Jesus had a pure community, as it were, well, who are we to, ex- to expect that someone like Judas could never make it into our own ranks. Let me close with a few summarizing thoughts. If Jesus calls, we are to follow this call and be obedient. Fellowship with Jesus must be our top priority, both when serving him and when facing important decisions in life. Without this fellowship, our relationship with him will be some, somewhat damaged. We want to be used and also be changed by Jesus, for he can bless our task above all that we can ever ask or think. Eleven out of twelve apostles are the, best, are the best example for this. And may the 12th born Judas be a warning to us to always remain in Jesus, to always follow him through our life without ever drifting to the left or to the right. Do you want to remain faithful to Jesus? We probably know some people who at a certain stage in life answer this question with no. But I, I really want to remain faithful to him. And I so hope and pray you want that too. Amen.